Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. The Young Anglicans podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It is hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to sing young want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. And I think that's the first time I have ever screwed up that script. Yep. But we're we don't edit. So what do you know? What are you gonna do? You know? It, going in stuff as it happens, is. you know? Stuff happens. Just like in youth ministry. Well you get what you pay for. Today today we're brought to you by you know we say brought to you by there are no sponsors for this no one's getting paid here so no, although if you're listening to this and there is some way in which you want to sponsor this podcast you just let oh, us know. We'll yeah we'll, make that work we'll we'll say whatever talking points you want we are easily bought yeah. uh, and i promise whatever whatever like uh whatever you give us to read i will read it better than i just read that script <laughs> we so. promise well the, the thing we want you to think about is the uh, Anglican Youth Ministers Gathering. Save the date. It's going to be uh, September 23rd to 26th. Uh, we had our, our first Anglican Youth Ministers Gathering, at least in its current form, this last fall. And it was an excellent gathering for people to get together, talk to other youth pastors, um, build connections. Uh, we, heard, we heard great encouragement. We are pretty much... Yeah, we heard we heard great encouragement from from you know leaders um, at the top levels of the ACNA. Um, it was great. It was a really really great time, and I, I look forward to more this coming September. So look forward to that. Um, so today's topic uh, is one that I was thinking of, which is um, the potential challenges uh, and maybe benefits ab- about being a youth pastor plus. Most of us in youth ministry um, are youth ministers, but also do other things, whether that's because you're a volunteer, whether that's because uh, you're you're bivocational, whether it's just because you're part-time, which is another word for bivocational, but it just kind of depends on how you frame it, I guess. Even, even if you're full-time, I'm full-time at All Souls, but uh, I also every week print the bulletins, and sometimes I preach, and sometimes... I do other things, and, and and I also manage the cleaning schedule and all these other things that kind of creep into um, regular vocational ministry. So um, maybe we'll start with challenges first, the unique challenges of being a youth pastor plus. Eric, you're not full-time in youth ministry, right? Well, technically I am now, um, okay. but that's, that's deceptive. Um, so I'm currently serving as a greenhouse missionary. Shout out to greenhouse. I'm serving as a greenhouse missionary. And as a greenhouse missionary, I have two roles. My first role is youth pastor at my local church, St. Luke's Anglican in Montrose, California. And okay. my other role is youth missioner for the diocese of Western Anglican. So basically I have two halftime jobs that make one full-time job. They are both devoted to youth ministry on some level, but in very different not very different, but related contexts, not exactly the same. One in local ministry, right. one in diocesan ministry. So so technically I'm full-time in youth ministry. But you're not a full-time youth pastor. But I'm not a full-time youth other, pastor, yeah. no. 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 
and, and before that, so, so that's, I've been doing that for like a year. And, um, b- before that I was my, my first job in vocational ministry was I was the lay curate for connections and youth at, at my local church. And so that was one of those jobs where I wore 8,000 hats yeah. and one of them was youth pastor. Yeah. Um, Anyway, connections and that, that was a like, full, like new people connections. That was a full time full time uh, job. Uh, it was let's get better connected to one another. Let's help new people get connected into the church. Let's okay. connect our church to the broader community. Think of ways to connect our church to the broader community. Um, all different kinds of connections. Um, I, I, I once heard jobs like that sometimes called pastor of assimilation, which <laughs> Just makes me think of the Borg from the Star Borg. Trek. Yeah, no, that's uh, not good. I'm not going to use that word. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I mean, listeners, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure assimilation is like maybe not an industry standard, but is at least broadly used as the word to like get people involved in your church, or at least I feel like I heard it a couple times. So, so things I did in that capacity, like I was obviously the youth pastor, but things I did, mm-hmm. we had what I called art house. We had, at the time we had a bunch of artists, some, some on the younger side, some on the older side, uh, a bunch of artists in our church family. So, uh, we had, we took, after one Sunday morning, we converted the worship space into a art gallery. Uh, so right. the back, the back half of it was half of it was an art gallery, and people. My wife uh, had um, printed out her pro- poetry and had her poetry sitting out there. We had a sculptor who had a couple of sculptures, a couple of photographers, a couple of other visual artists, uh, painters, and other things, and they displayed all their stuff. And then we have had a bunch of performing artists as well. So we had kind of a rotating schedule of uh, you know come see you know Jonathan, you know he's a composer, a film composer, and he's going to come and you know, have perform some of his works and uh, other stuff like that. So, so that was a kind of us connecting together as a church family around our own original art. Um, You know, a lot of it professional artists. Um, So, so that was us kind of connecting better together. Uh, Then uh, we had some events where we were assisting a local immigration ministry, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, helping people fill out applications for green cards and stuff like that. Um, so just that, that kind of stuff. Those are the kind of events we were trying. I wish that I had also had, I'd also be, been given the responsibility to help revitalize our small group ministry. Um, I think that would have been mm-hmm. a really important one. Um, but at the time there was a, a, a lay person who, who was leading that ministry. And uh, I guess there was, the decision was made not to take, not to, ask them to hand it over to me. But anyway, gotcha. so those are the kinds of things I was doing in addition to being youth pastor. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had, I haven't had quite that kind of diversity and experience, but, um, I find having to do other things. Um, and even before now I, I worked several part-time jobs as sort of just to kind of have side hustles to do other work. Um, for a number of years I worked, uh, every Tuesday night at GameStop from six to nine. Um, that was my, my weekly shift or my, for maybe four years, I think was my, was my side hustle. Um, it does not pay well. I was going to say, that's like, like three hours a week. That's like dinner money. Yeah. I, if, (laughs) especially cause I was getting paid like $8 an hour. It was not, so it, it was not a great, we'll get to advantages later. There were definitely advantages from that job. The downside was when I was doing that and I had two weekly youth ministry programs, um, 
guaranteed every week out of the house three nights. Wow. Um, you had a vestry meeting and a and a youth event that if I just planned poorly, that's five nights I'm working. Um, youth and ministry, trying to be married like, with kids? Right, and, and tr- trying to be married with, with kids. It was, that was difficult to, yeah. to navigate. Um, you know, it became hardest when my son's bedtime, because I started when he was little and he just kind of went to bed with us. Um, it got difficult once his bedtime moved before I was done. Yeah. Because little, little kids, you know, they take a nap during the day, they go to bed at 9.30, that's fine. Um, but once they get a little bit older and they're not napping, once you lose that daytime nap and they're going to bed at, at 8, um, now I'm saying goodnight before I leave. Well, that's when it started to get, get hard. Um, I also find that um, I'm doing youth ministry best when I leave some time to do some creative planning, sort of spend mm. some time and like take a step back and say, okay, where are my students right now? What about what I'm doing is working? What, how do I need to change what I'm doing to fit the particular students I have, to fit the particular needs that are now versus you know, how things worked a few years ago? Uh, a number of times in my ministry, I haven't anticipated those changes and I've spent like half a year spinning my wheels because I was basically ministering to kids that had graduated the year before. And I was just doing the same things that always worked for those kids and it just flopped. Um, I used to, when I first started doing youth group stuff, um, movie nights, knock out, home run every time. I, I just, we're going to have a movie night. Everybody shows up. It's great. I would brag about what great events they were. And then at some point, kids just didn't want to come to watch movies anymore. And so I do movie nights and like two kids show up. Ooh. Um, or I do a movie night and like there was one time one guy shows up to watch Star Wars with me. And then we have to make the decision like, Kate, do you want to watch this? Or do you want to, like, are you and I going to sit in the church basement, dim the lights, and watch Star Wars together? This also is before I got much better with child protection policies because yeah. I'm also the leader there at that point. That's not a great look. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, but okay. So So all this to say, I, when, I'm, when I'm having to work other jobs, part of what that does is it eats up the time that I could use to stop and, and think about things. And I start to choose lesson plans that are, that are sort of microwavable. Like I can just quickly bang it out and it'll pass and it'll be okay. Um, and I'll get some content out there, but I'm not the, the times when I've had to do more side work, it becomes a greater challenge to do really good lesson planning and really good, um, curriculum planning and to really think about my students and care for them, um, in a way that works better rather than just a way that'll get it done. Mm. So do you, um, do you ever like meet with, uh, your student leaders or, uh, do you ever, do you ever meet with students in a, outside of youth group in a coffee shop kind of capacity where you're, you know, reading the Bible and praying together and just like pastoral visit kind of thing. Uh, do you ever do anything like that? And what's the context? Uh, so we don't do, uh, um, and so I meet with that student roughly once a month and we sort of go out, get dinner and, and talk. Um, 
I haven't done the like engage style Bible study sit down thing because we do that a lot in in our Sunday school and youth group thing. So I still have yeah. two weekly programs. It's just one is before church. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there's not a lot of there's already enough kind of personal Bible study kind of moments. Um, but I also I meet with my student leaders once a month. Um, and I have them read an article and we talk about it and we talk some about like, okay, these oftentimes they're not, um, Christian specific. They'll often be about like teenage anxiety or like placelessness. And I say, okay, how can our, how can we turn our youth ministry more into a, there was one article that talked about the difference between place and space. And it was like, okay, the internet's a space. It's a thing where things happen, but our youth group should be a place where it feels like it's in a location actually rooted with real people in a real room where we have to share the same air and, and interact with each other. How do we make that more of a place where people can come? So we were, um, you know, I'll talk with my student leaders about that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of relationship forming with me and those leaders there. Um, lots of my off the cuff statements that I try and keep to a minimum at official youth group functions sort of eke out there. Um, yeah, that's where I do a lot of that. A lot of that kind of contact work um, with my leaders happens there. Do you have lots of space for your contact work? I know your students are spread out pretty far. Yeah, so um, it's like in previous years, I, I had I had a couple of students who were new to faith. They were mm-hmm. high school students, new to faith, and so and and both of them had a friend that had invited them to youth group. So it was mm-hmm. it was really easy and natural for me to say, you know what, that, that kid, that student needs some particular attention, some particular mm-hmm. mentoring kind of attention. And so I would try, I would make every effort to get together with them once a week uh, to go through the Anglican catechism or to read the Bible, just mm-hmm. very engaged style. Let's share some life. Let's read yeah. the Bible. Let's pray together. Yeah. Um, and just do some of that formational work. Plus, all, most of the other students in the youth group were quite young. Mm-hmm. And so um, not that junior hires can't benefit from that sort of ministry, but I knew I had more time with them. Um, I, I, I have a lot of guilt, I will admit, that I feel like I should be doing more of that. Um, I, this year, I, I've got some students that have kind of stepped into leadership roles like I needed them to for our youth alpha course in the mm-hmm. fall. And they were leading discussion. And uh, I wanted them to have some space that felt like it was for them it, it, because so much of youth alpha had become them kind of pouring out. I wanted yeah. to have a chance to pour into them. Um, and it, it was just really hard. It, there was four of them. And it was really, really hard to like get our schedules to mesh. Mm-hmm. Because two of them were homeschooled, the other two went to different public high schools. Uh, we're talking about drive time was a minimum of 20 minutes between all of their houses, all of their schools. Yeah, and so it, it just and, and like it's insane to me a high schooler schedule these days. It's yeah. just I, I can't even believe even when they're homeschooled, it's insane to me. But so I, I struggled with that, and I, I'd like to be doing that, and. I, that's when I feel like I'm actually ministering the most is when I'm actually in a much more, for lack of a better term, intimate setting yeah. with, with students. And, um, I'm sharing my life more directly with them. Right. Um, I, it's not that I don't think that our youth group gatherings are, are 
fruitful times or, or, you know, a waste of time from a ministry standpoint, it is real ministry that's happening there. Um, but, but I know that the students that I meet with more regularly are receiving more, um, just because you, you can, you can share more when you're, when you're in a smaller context like that. So I think it's really important. I think that's got to be one of the biggest challenges if you're doing youth ministry as a side job or as a volunteer yeah. or uh, it's a challenge now that my, my Dawson work has so many demands. And so my time is just, and we're in the midst of raising support. And so that pre- presents its own challenges as well. It just takes up time uh, and I've got a family. And so there's just a lot of things that I'm juggling and it makes it harder to do it. Yeah. Um, so we actually haven't started it back up after Christmas um, and I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to work all it in, work all of it in. Cause I also want to be meeting with the parents on a regular basis and I want to be, you know, whatever all the, have a parents meeting in general. And so there's just a, a bunch of things that I need to do. Um, yeah. and, and I want to do them all now and I just got to hmm. figure out which are the ones that are most important and start doing those and then get yeah. to the other ones when I can. So, yeah, the, the time constraints, there's always more things that you can do there's always like more extra meetings you can do and i think um being bivocational or having that other work cuts into the time you could use for that mm-hmm. one of the things i i think churches ought to understand is they're hiring people um you know we should have had someone who's bivocational on here intentionally and, and hear some of their perspective because i think yeah. that might have been helpful but oh well we're going to talk out of our ignorance um <laughs> like every time the uh but... i i have i do I, to, I have not been in, in in vocational youth ministry for that long i have served as a volunteer who had another life um which, which i, I want to get back into scheduling in a minute um because mm-hmm. i have i have some things to share about that or at least some thoughts about that but um i I mean, no, I've never been bivocational as a youth pastor, but but I haven't always been on this side of the paycheck either. Sure, sure. The the thing I think churches is valuable for churches to understand is um, sometimes we think about compensation in terms of like, okay, what am I getting out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, what a, like when I add when you go from you know twenty hours to thirty hours, what are those ten hours going to be spent on? Um, and what I think is valuable, at least as one way to think about it, is when you when you get someone in ministry into a salaried position where they're not having to work side jobs, um, you are freeing them to be available for other things. Because ministry jobs oftentimes are urgent, but they're not scheduled. Um, other jobs often are scheduled, but not urgent. Like you just have your shift. Like that's just when you work at this other job. Um, that's just when you have to do this other work. Um, the one part of my job that is scheduled and urgent is, is the bulletin printing, right? Like every, every week on a Thursday and, and or Friday, this stuff has to get done and it's going to take a couple hours of my time and, and it, it, it can't be moved earlier in the week because there's many pieces that lead up to then. Um, but it must be done. Other things must take a back seat because if we don't have the bulletins, we don't have church, um, and the fewer of those things that are in your life, the more you can be open to sudden pastoral calls or being able to flex to someone else's schedule. Because if you've got two people who are trying to coordinate their schedules and both of them are equally as busy, there are fewer moments of overlap. But if you're pastor, 
is like, yeah, I've got room in my afternoons to do this. I've got room to do these things. That frees you to do that contact work on on your youth on your youth's terms. And I'd say generally pastorally on the parishioners' terms mm-hmm. when your schedule is freed up right. to do that other stuff. Um, so I think things like that are actually really, really, um, I don't know, really, really helpful to, to make that space so those things can happen. And I guess in this challenges category, it's a challenge to do that kind of work and to be flexible to do that stuff when you have these other demands on your schedule. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be clear, like we're recording this in, you know, right around the noon hour in, in my in my time zone. I'm in California mm-hmm. and we're we're both able to do this in the middle of the day because we are are have our roles are full time roles on, on some level. We have right. this. These are our primary jobs. And yep. so part of the reason why we don't have anyone on here who's bivocational is because all those people have <laughs> real jobs and are actually working right now. Whereas we're getting on here and recording a podcast um, that we hope is helpful. Um, but it, our jobs give us the flexibility to do that. Right. Um, and, and, and for us, this is at least I think of it this way. This is part of my job. To, to do this, to be helpful to youth pastors um, in some way mm-hmm. uh, and or rectors. We hope rectors listen to this as well, but I don't think they probably do. Um, <laughs> but 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 that does go into scheduling a little bit. And, and I wanted to share a little bit about my former life as a classical musician. Mm-hmm. And, and in that li- like in that job and one similarity that that job had to this one is that you've got to do your work most of the time when other people are not working. Because mm-hmm. it's it's incumbent upon people not working for them to be able to not to be able to come to whatever it is that you're doing. So when I was playing in professional orchestras, the concerts are going to be Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon when people other people weren't working because that's when they could come to concerts. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that ministry sort of has in common um, people have lives and they and people have to work and kids go to school. And so when uh, if we're going to meet with people, the work that we do has to be when they're available. Uh, and that's going to be, therefore, very different from from when normal work usually takes place. Yeah. That said, we're also human beings with job with uh families and kids and spouses and mm. so it's it's a matter of finding that balance and to me that's a very very tricky balance to find um yeah. and it's and like the go-to when i when i get in touch with a parent and say hey i'd like to have a have coffee with with your son or daughter and just talk about something that they were sharing in in youth group i want to make sure i've touched base with them about it Mm -hmm. the the first like their go-to was like well what about saturday morning at 10 a.m yeah and it's like okay on the one hand i'd love to do that on the other hand my family is trying to introduce a a a a discipline of sabbath sabbath rest as a family together which means on saturday or actually friday evening we're going to unplug from everything from life and just be together as a family and therefore mm-hmm. be unavailable for our work and so no sorry saturdays, saturdays aren't an option and then it just becomes this whole mess and a lot yeah. of the time it just doesn't wind up working out for me to get together with that student and part of me feels bad about it and part of me is like uh, what do I do? That, that's a real challenge to deal with. And I don't yep. know what to do about it. I still, still haven't found a solution that I feel like is effective. Yeah. 
yeah, scheduling those times is is really hard. Um, and and you're not even talking about having other work. Like you're just talking about having a family. Like yeah. this isn't. We're not even in the bivocational world. Right. Um. Yeah. So I'm I'm always trying to push those those meetings. Like, can we meet at four o'clock on Thursday? Yeah. At this coffee shop, really close to your student's school. And a lot of times that will work. But then they've got drama rehearsal, or they've got volleyball yeah. practice, or they've got this or that. And there's just so many activities, and so then it's getting pushed to, well, how about 6 p.m.? And I'm like, well, I'd like to have dinner with my family. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's a challenge, and it's a balancing act that we're still trying to figure out as a family. I will admit. Yeah. So, all those challenges are real, but I think there are, I think there are some benefits for the other non-youth ministry things that we do. And this is where, interestingly enough, I think it comes some from, or I'm thinking some of the the, the pre-recording conversation we were having about educational systems and things like that. I'm a big believer in liberal arts educations, like generally. And I say that, I mean, at this point, public high schools are liberal arts educations. You've got your humanities. You're, you have to do history. You have to do English. You have to do math. You have to do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and part of that is because we think that having different experiences forms you, even experiences that aren't immediately useful. Mm. Um, so I'm always annoyed when people say, like, why do why are we have to learn algebra? We need to learn a budgeting class. And all of our classes in high school should be immediately practical. And it's <laughs> no, the, the thing that will form you is learning things that you're never going to use on a day-to-day basis because it helps develop your brain and your character and things like that. Yeah. In the same way, um, those few years I spent at GameStop being with, um, we're using the word real here sometimes, really we just mean non-churchy, but hanging out with real people. Like my friends from GameStop were of an entirely different kind of person than the people who came to All Souls. Um, Many of them unchurched, nominal Catholics, fleeting association with religion. Even in Whedon, Illinois, evangelical capital of of the Midwest. Um, that's right, Grand Rapids. You don't count. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry to all of our listeners. Evangelical joke. <laughs> Insert uh, evangelical woo! joke here. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, these were these were people who I formed friendships with, who I continue to have friendships with. Um, one of whom asked me to do their wedding. Mm. Um, the, these are people that I. I it, it's being around people who are unlike. The sort of churchy people. And when you're in full-time ministry and all your visits are with church people, yeah. you begin to forget what non-church people are like. Like you for, right. you begin to forget some of those details. Um, you're also involved in a different sphere of life that isn't just about running a church and reading the Bible and thinking about theology, all of which are good. But sometimes it's good to read and learn about different spheres of life because it helps form you into a better person. Were you, were, you was, ordained, were you ordained at the time that you were working at GameStop? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when well, and when I got there, um, I, I was a deacon once I started, and I was ordained as a priest shortly after I started. Um, there were I, I came on as holiday help, and there were two Andrews, and so I had this chance to like give myself a nickname. And for some reason, I really I really wanted to be I, I'd wanted this nickname for a while, so. My my name takes it Andrew and then underneath Rev, and so to all my GameStop friends to this day, like I'm Rev to them, like hey Rev, what's up? That's my name. <laughs> Customers would be like, 
like Rev, what is that? I'm like, oh, I'm I'm actually a pastor. And they'd be like, <laughs> oh. And then they take their copy of Grand Theft Auto that they're that they're ringing up and just feel uncomfortable. Um, Awkward. But, but it, it it was a there, there was no questions about who I was, right? Like very early on, they know that that's my my sort of real job on the side. Um, but I was just the the pastor who worked at at GameStop. Mm. Um, and interacting and in all of my life, when I'm interacting with these other spheres that aren't directly related to the church, I feel like it, it's like a my liberal arts education in humanity. It's just dealing with some things that are not that are not immediately applicable to what I'm doing. But I think it helps form me into a person who, to borrow from our prior episodes, understands the brood, the beauty, truth and goodness that exist throughout all of God's creation. And it mm-hmm. helps me be able to decipher and, and draw upon and notice that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I was, I was trying to decide if I was going to go down the road of like, like workplace evangelism mm. and talk about like what, what that aspect of things like work becoming kind of that third place for you of, of yeah. interacting with people outside the church, which is really valuable. And hopefully also a chance to actually spread the good news of Jesus, which we all need to be doing. Um, but, but I want to like, there's also this sense that another thing that I've been trying to, to add in, I really felt this sense, like what would it be like if I were, Okay. Sorry. I, I'm trying to formulate this into a thought that would, would be good for conversation. And that is that Youth Alpha, the Lord has used the Youth Alpha course program mm-hmm. to, to really build our youth group. Um, and it's created this culture of conversation and a place of belonging and all these really, really great things. Um, what, what, what it's also done, which I'm not super jazzed about, is, is it's created a really attractional model for mm-hmm. our youth group. Um, so bring your students here and we will, you know, teach them the gospel and those kinds of things. Some of that is, is by necessity. Some of that is where the students are. I I, I would hope as the students become more comfortable with the youth alpha content and and clear with how it works and how to run it, that we could actually start leading some, hosting some youth alpha courses in their local schools. Um, which would be a really, really cool and very, yeah. very different dynamic. Um, but but uh, we we have this really attractional model as a youth group right now. And so my thoughts were, okay, I keep telling my students, invite your friends, invite your friends, invite your friends. Mm-hmm. I would love to have an example of, oh, well, here here's some high school or junior high students that I have invited to youth group and are now part of youth group because I have brought them. And you see, I'm out there inviting students as well. And and so I thought, well, to do that, I would actually need to be in a high school somewhere interacting with students. So I, I went, found out about a couple of ongoing ministries in the local high school and tried to have been trying to getting in touch with them. And I'm just realizing the difficulty of doing something like that. Um, yeah, one of them, he was like, well, he's like, yeah, I guess you could do that. You're already wearing a lot of hats. You're not really the guy that I'm looking for to come and help out with this ministry. Mm-hmm. What I would love is for you to send me somebody else who goes to your church that can be a bridge back to your church yeah. and can invite students to your church. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get that. That's not exactly what I was 
what I was hoping to find in, in getting connected to that ministry. But there is at least that option. And we, ha- you and I have that option because we are full-time. You right. might not have that option uh, unless you were a high school teacher or a high school coach or a, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Um, but, but that is, that is partly the challenge. And I think, I think it's really easy. Um, and we're supposed to be talking about things that are good right now. We, we'd moved on from challenges. So I don't, I don't want to just be a naysayer about things. Um, but, but there is an opportunity there, I think to, to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. We should just move on from, from what I'm trying to say, because I'm losing my train of thought anyway. Um, but one of the things, one of the benefits I I wanted to talk about of of having wearing more than one hat, which, Mm -hmm. which I would include both from when I was, uh, the, the connections and youth pastor at St. Luke's and now in my role as youth pastor and diocesan youth missioner was, Mm -hmm. was those opportunities for things to, for those ministries to overlap. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing I really wished had happened more when I was the connections pastor. Um, it's so easy for a youth group to become a siloed, like completely separate ministry within a church. And unfortunately, that's a little bit where we are as a church right now. Uh, But I really do believe that intergenerational ministry is is not only valuable, but essential to to students for them, for students to have. They're going to have relationships with each other. Right. You can't keep them away from each other. Right. And so youth group is about leveraging that desire for them to be together and inviting them to be together around Jesus. Uh, That's the at least that's the way I think about Mm -hmm. I think about youth group. Um, but, but having space and for, for them to, to be able to rub rub shoulders with other adults, I think is essential. And if yeah. you have other authority within your church, uh, such that adults might actually listen to you, um, and, and want, want to help you in your ministry, like there's, there's going to create more space for that. And I think that yeah. would be a great, great benefit. So it, have you noticed that kind of thing in your role as the your is it assistant or associate priest I'm, at your church? I'm associate rector. I when working through that, I always think of the office like assistant to the regional manager. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I'm the associate rector and okay. and pastor to youth. But that associate rector title comes less with like particular job responsibilities and much more to do with how since becoming a priest, especially since becoming a priest, but I, I'd argue even before then. Um, I've just sort of had greater influence in whole church ministry things, like when I'm preaching or when I'm I'm teaching classes or just in my interactions with adults in other you know scenarios. Um, I've just developed influence and leadership and sort of looking looking for the the sort of picture and vision for our church as a whole. Um, so I I would say yeah that that interaction with adults has allowed. Yeah, more more intergenerational connections. Um, I think I'm able to to think about the concerns for the students while talking about the whole church or while interacting with stuff that happens for the whole church. Um, I'd say part of, and I don't know, this may not this may not sound really great for someone who who feels a long term vocational calling to youth ministry. In some ways, doing other things helps me keep my sanity. Um, <laughs> I think it 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 helps with youth ministry burnout because there is a sense in which, at some point, you're in your 30s, and and all the adults see you as the guy who works with teenagers, as as the fun, 
22 year old there is this vocational hazard this occupational hazard of being a youth pastor that you're not taken very seriously yeah um and and that is unfair um sometimes it probably is fair depending on the youth pastor mm-hmm. um but I have found being able to interact with the adults and being able to preach and being able to to sort of have that influence makes me not feel like I'm being treated like the kid. Yeah, uh, it it still it still absolutely happens. Um, there are still moments, especially since I started at All Souls when I was 22, that I still get treated like a 22 year old. Um, no offense to 22 year olds, that is a an important life phase, and I think it's actually a very vital life phase as a as a youth pastor, there's different, different strengths you bring when you have the the vitality of youth. Um, but it has really been great for me and allowed me to feel, continue to feel energy towards youth ministry by not always doing youth ministry. Mm -hmm. I think there's something about being able to do other things that has allowed me to keep my passion for youth ministry alive, Mm -hmm. uh, because I've not felt stuck in youth ministry. I've not felt forced in youth ministry. I've not felt like, oh, I never get a chance to have my own gifts recognized by the whole church. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got a rector who actually very intentionally um, wants to make sure that I get visibility in front of the church. Um, So, I mean, typically we have two services and I'm I'm almost always celebrating at one of them. and he will regularly comment, both for me and for uh, my wife, who's a deacon, um, that it's important to have us up front and, and visible because he simply recognizes the effect that has and the ways in which that allows us to minister to the whole congregation because mm-hmm. people see us as clergy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, there is something about that that I think is a great model. I even think about um, uh, our friend uh, Tracy Russell, she and her husband Jamie— our co-rectors at a church whose name I have forgotten because I'm a bad friend, um, <laughs> but in the Pittsburgh area, um, she is both the diocesan youth person for the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Um, but when she and her husband became co-rectors, she also does the youth ministry at that church. So she is, she is a co-rector. She and Jamie are, are, are doing it, yeah. but, um, but she also is in charge of the youth ministry. And that's a model that I think is a very interesting and attractive thing for youth pastors as well, that at the size most ACNA churches are, um, if you're at the point where you can do full-time youth ministry, um, you can actually, you can actually be a rector and do youth ministry because maybe you could hand off some of the adult catechesis to someone else, or you could hand off, you could hire an associate who does other things for adults and you can do your passion for youth ministry. Um, so that's, I think, a really attractive way um, for youth ministries to move forward, for pastors to be able to do more than just, um, more than just pay full youth pastors. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm meandering here, but I think it's an, it's an interesting way to look forward, especially for those in youth ministry who get to be into their late twenties, into their early thirties and start to feel stifled and start to feel like, oh man, this is just not for me anymore. There's something about expanding into non-youth ministry avenues of ministry that help keep that passion for youth ministry alive and and help you be a better youth pastor i think yeah well i i look i you're talking to a guy who's a youth pastor and i'm in my getting to my mid 40s hmm. and um sorry my wife is texting me and i need to turn off my 
my ringer. Um, and, and so, uh, like, I fully get, and I even still, in my mid-40s, at times, get treated like the ministry I'm doing is like junior ministry, mm-hmm. um, that, that, oh, isn't it cute? Here's the guy who likes to hang out with little kids. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, I would love for, for people, to, for everyone to take youth ministry as seriously as I tried to, to take yeah. it. Um, part of the reason why I still believe in youth ministry and, and think I will be involved with youth ministry on some level uh, for my entire life uh, is because it was a formational time for me. Uh, right. It is those years where, where I really did take on my faith as my own and developed a, a real relationship with my Heavenly Father, um, all of those things. And so I, I want, and therefore, I would love other students to have that same sort of experience that I did um, and to be to be drawn into that life in that early stage. And that's why I think it's not pretend ministry. Um, right. It is it is as essential as any ministry we have, but and and I also I don't like the idea that well we're just gonna what what is that the the driver's license to marriage license gap um, hmm. that people talk about that we we just know that once kids get their driver's license they're gonna walk away from church and they'll probably walk away from the faith but just wait at some point they're gonna get married they'll find their way back and, and they'll find their way back and and it'll all be great and and I just think man, we're accepting a lot of brokenness that they're going to find in their life in those years in between, especially as people are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married, if they ever do anymore these days, uh, that I I just think that's really a a dangerous mindset. I don't know if anyone's really embracing that anymore. I just know that I've heard about it. Um, But anyway, you know, that's something you have to deal with. The, the way I've decided to deal with it in both my local capacity and on the diocesan level, because mm-hmm. I've also I've also had that at the diocesan level, being a lay person involved in youth ministry at the di- right. diocesan level. Um, uh, like, look, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to show you how serious I am about it. And I'm going to show you um, I'm going to demonstrate the maturity that I have in my faith and, and that I'm bringing that to this ministry. And then I really am not just like wanting to have your kids come to camp so we can play goofy games for a week. Yeah. No, I want them to have a deep and rich and, and like meaningful encounter with their heavenly father. Um, so, um, yeah. the only, I, I really feel like the only way we can really deal with that is to just demonstrate that, no, we really are serious about this and this is really serious ministry. Um, and we hope you all take it as seriously as, as the rest of us do. So, yeah. So I guess to wrap up youth pastors who are listening, uh, I think it is really hard to be a youth pastor. And most of the time that's an underpaid bivocational role. It is common that it has other things tacked on. And I don't want to diminish that because those challenges are real. At the same time, there are ways that you can lean into those and really develop some other gifts in a way that will be that will be good for your for your ministry. It will it will help you gain respect in the eyes of others, even though it shouldn't be necessary for you to gain yeah. respect because you're doing important work. You're doing some of the most important work in the church, but some of the other things you tack on help you get a little bit of standing. Um, it helps you round out your your understanding of how people work and how culture works and how, um, I don't know, give you extra perspective on things. Um, so maybe as for all of us, as we lean into all those youth pastor plus things that we have to do, um, 
without diminishing the challenges they bring, maybe see some of the advantages and some of the ways it's shaping and forming us. Um, yeah, tr- trust the better ministers. Yeah, trust that it's the it's the it's where the Lord has placed you in that moment, and and look for where He is and what He is doing in the midst of it, um, yeah. because because He is doing something. Uh, he's yeah. always up to something. Hmm. Well, Eric, do you have a do you have a collect to close I, us know, out? I, I don't. I'm I'm such a bad youth pastor, right? Such oh, a bad Anglican right now. I don't even have my prayer book within arm's reach. You don't have your prayer book within arm's reach. Yeah, what kind it's of it's it's like you? maybe two arms reach. Does that yeah. at least <laughs> do I get at least you know some some point uh, anyway? I'll give you some credit. I I've got the the one for for this week in common worship is pretty good, so we'll we'll use that one. So let let's pray. Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends.